Welcome to the All Things Nintendo Podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. We are finally here. I'm joined by Marcus Stewart from Game Informer. Marcus, we're finally here. Next week, we have a trio of highly anticipated games that we have all had circled on our calendar for a long, long time. Today we're talking about the first of that trio of games. We're going to be talking about Sonic Superstars, so that is going to be the bulk of this show. We're going to be getting Marcus's review of Sonic Superstars, and then we're going to have an interview from a member of Sonic Team as the main segment of this episode, and then we're going to come back and we're going to do a definitive ranking related to the two major Switch games that are coming out over the next seven days. But Marcus, first, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Feeling all right. A little, little tired. It's been busy for me <laughs> this week. Busy for all of us, but yeah. you know. But I'm, I'm feeling good. It's an exciting time of year to be in games, right? It, it's very exciting. Very exhausting. I mean, we were talking right before we started recording how tired and busy we all are. Like, it, it, we're not trying to get sympathy points here, but we have all been like head down on reviews. We have all been trying to manage not only reviews that we're playing with like other games we're trying to keep up with also other responsibilities that we have at work yeah uh, we still have the magazine out and yeah and life yeah it turns out we also have lives but we're having a good time we're smiling through it all marcus you have what, what's up I, I i was just smiling oh, doing a thumbs you, yeah, up. yeah 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 just letting i'm doing the thing that you said we're smiling <laughs> through it we're smiling through it it looked like you were doing like the finger up like oh i have something to say but no oh, it was no. a thumbs up it was yeah. just cut off okay <laughs> People on the audio feed will not understand why I was tripped up there. But Marcus, you have been playing a game that, you know, I've talked about extensively on this podcast. I wanted to give you this review so that there was a little bit of distance because I've already played a lot of this game. I played about half of the game as part of our cover story earlier this year. Uh, A lot of people know I'm a big Sonic the Hedgehog fan, but Marcus, you are the one that has played more of this game now. So Talk me through Sonic Superstars. What were your initial impressions when you first picked it up and uh, how have they progressed as you played more? Yeah, so this is my first time getting to play it in general. Like I I didn't go to Summer Games Fest, haven't played any pre-release demos. So I was kind of uh, only had your stuff and just other uh, like colleagues impressions to go off of. And I say first impressions are are good for the most part. Um, The biggest thing and, you know, they pitched this as like, hey, we're taking Sonic back to its 2D roots, but you can play with four players now. And one of the things I was worried about was that the pitch was very similar to what uh, Sonic 4 was, which they technically delivered. It was a new 2D Sonic game, but it didn't feel right. Like, you know, famously, the physics in that game felt off and just like, you know, like in a, in a vacuum, if it was a non-Sonic game, it'd be fine. But for a Sonic game, it's just like, I know what this is supposed to feel like, and this is not it. Uh, Sonic Superstars does not have that problem. It feels exactly the, the way that the uh, Genesis era games, which is very impressive. Um, like I felt like I I slipped right back into my, my muscle memory of like, I know how far Sonic can jump. I know what I can and can't do in terms of like how much momentum I need to get up a hill. Uh, it, it just, it, it feels so good that it, you could be... I don't want to say you could be tricked into thinking this was like some long lost game because clearly it's not because of the presentation. <laughs> it's very much modern, but it looks like a little I'm, bit more modern than the Genesis games. Yeah, I think your Genesis would catch fire if it tried to run this game, <laughs> but it it feels like it, it feels at home with like Sonic One, Two, Three, Knuckles, CD in terms of just how it plays. Like even the animations are 
the same, just like, you know, with 3D Sonic in terms of like, I mean, and the sound effects too, right? It's just those classic sound effects of the shield and the, the, the drowning music that gives you a heart attack. It's all there, you know? So, but with that comes with, uh, with it, some of the old annoyances with 2D Sonic stuff that I think now, as I've been reflecting on this games, I've finished it. And uh, at the time we're recording this, I won't have a review up on the site because, you know, <clears throat> we have a, a review in progress post that you can read. Um, I can't play the co-op mode until launch next Tuesday due to various reasons. A lot of them, a combination of, uh, I guess, my own personal lifestyle of living alone <laughs> combined <laughs> with the fact that the game is only local co-op, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, and the only way to get around that is through playing on PS5, the, the share play, but can't do it for an unreleased game, it turns out. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so just through shenanigans like that, I, I can't play that part of the game until next week. So I didn't want to post put a score or anything until I could. But, um, God, I lost the thread about what I was saying. But uh, what was I just saying before I got into that spiel, Brian? You were talking about how you haven't had a chance to play co-op because it's local only. Um, but also, like, it, it does feel like kind of the natural progression of the Genesis games. Yes, Thank you. Thank you for being my the tales to my Sonic there, uh, <laughs> lifting me up. But yeah, it, it feels at home. Like it feels like uh, it, it fits and that's good. But the old annoyances come with it too. Like it, how kind of irritating it can be when you lose momentum and you got to, the, the, the wind up to kind of get back on track is the same as it was in those games, which especially when you're going up, up and down hills can be a, a pain. Um, the fact that Sonic or really any of the characters, like their momentum uh, you can't really stop in a, on a dime in those games, even though there's times where it feels like the game almost demands that you should be able to just because of like how fast you're going. And they're so often put something in front of you that is a hazard that you just you just could not anticipate. Right. Because you're just kind of going. And then it's like, hey, surprise spikes. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and you're like, OK. <laughs> and it, it's like, I can't just stop. You, you got You know, he's got the little slide and then he'll run off a cliff or run into something like all of that is there. I said this in my, my review in progress that like whatever likes and dislikes that you had about classic Sonic, it's all here. <laughs> you know, so for better or worse, um, I think that the, um, I think the game looks really nice. Like it's really mm -hmm. cool to see, like we've seen, you know, 2.5 D Sonic before, but I think this might be the best version of that in terms of like the animations. And again, how uh, I think the level design in terms of, like just aesthetically looks nice for the most part across most of the levels. I really like the um, the second stage in particular, the kind of jungly world, I think looks really yeah, speed jungle. OK, yeah, that one looks cool. And there's some late games ones I won't spoil that. I, I think it gets better as it goes just aesthetically and even just like mechanically the sort of like twist that they put into the stages themselves. Um, but I will say going back to sort of annoyances, it's um, the, like I mentioned before, the sort of like trial and error style approach that you have to have with these games. I think it's more pronounced than Superstars. And I think some of that is sort of like modern sensibilities kind of like infecting my brain. And then also just maybe, I don't know if this game has more of that than the other games. It feels like it does. Mm. Or I, I'm still going back and forth. Like, does it just stand out more now? <laughs> you know, like there's times where, you know, like I mentioned before, you'll do a really elaborate high speed sequence where you're kind of not in control because you're just hitting a bunch of boost pads and you're just watching Sonic just go flying. And you're like, yeah, look at me get all those rings. And then all of a sudden it spits you out in front of a thing that you have a 
less than a split second to react to and then you just have no choice but to get hit or if it's an enemy and you kind of have to it's always a roll of the dice when you do those segments where it's like should i roll into a ball just to be safe so i can plow through anything in front of me but then sometimes that you know bites you in the butt because you can't um I don't know, like you can't jump or react the same way as you could if you were running. So you're kind of always kind of like, like I say, it's a 50-50. You're like, maybe I'll just run through this so I can like initiate a jump easier. And then you're like, oh, I ran right into an enemy and I lost all my rings or I'll, you know, vice versa. And it's like, again, you don't know what to do until you run through a stage a few times. And the first time you go through it, it it's, it's always going to be the hardest because you're learning the levels and there's the levels are so big in this game. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's multiple sort of like tiers of like, you know, there's the, the upper section, the middle section, the, the lower section. Sometimes there's like an upper, upper section. Uh, you can really, you know, those game, some of those stages can be very vertical. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, there were so many times where I felt like a lot of my deaths felt cheap, you know, in that sense of like, oh, okay, well, I just didn't know that was there. Cause I, so now I know like if I make this jump next time, I guess I'll, I'll jump after this boost pad. And I think maybe as I've gotten older, that has become more and more like not great, I guess. You know, you put up with your as a kid, but as an adult and just other platformers that, you know, there are other hard platformers. And I'm not saying this game is hard necessarily. It's I think it's as difficult as probably any of the 2D Sonic games. Um, but I think because it seems like they sort of like got maybe a little too good at putting those like very well-placed kind of like middle fingers to you. <laughs> <laughs> that you're just running into like oh well how am i supposed to know that there was like four enemies and they're all like floating and positioned in such a way where like i kind of have to hit the brakes and then very carefully kind of take them out before regaining momentum and you know continuing on i think that stuff wore on me more than it usually does and there are even boss fights where i, I think the boss fights by and large are like fine and, and like decently challenging uh you know there's some mini bosses that are are pretty simple and then the robotnik fights um are a little bit tougher Mm -hmm. um but some of them because of like again that trial and error it's like okay like i didn't know that you were gonna shoot this in a way or like some of these bullet hill almost patterns don't really i don't see a rhyme or reason so it almost feels luck in terms of how i dodge it it just depends Mm -hmm. on how it how it's how it spat at me (laughs) in whatever pattern if it falls into such a way where the 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 stars align it's like oh there's a path i can jump through right there okay but since it doesn't always you know materialize the same way you can't really learn patterns you just sort of hope for the best right yeah Um, it sounds like there's a lot of like you are going super fast a lot of the time and you just need to react to whatever they throw at you and if you are not like you know, a, a very young guy who mm-hmm. <laughs> who has very lightning fast reactions like I used to, it might be frustrating. Or if you're not like conditioned to always be scanning like the area in front of you, like like a lot of longtime Sonic players are, it might be giving you a bit of a hard time. Like, you know, if you're playing Mario, you don't have to be that vigilant about scanning your surroundings for enemies, at least, because, you know, it's a slower paced game. But in Sonic, you need to, uh, I mean, you have to have your metaphorical head on a swivel. Like, obviously, your, your eyes are the yeah. things that are going to be darting around. But, like, you need to always be aware of your surroundings because you are going through a breakneck pace. And it seems like they've adapted a lot of that to the boss fights as well. Yeah, it's always, a like, I'm glad you brought up Mario because I think that's the biggest difference between Mario and Sonic, at least in 2D, is that Mario, you're kind of encouraged to poke around and explore because there's secrets and stuff. You can take your time. Where Sonic isn't, but they try to have that Mario cake too. And I think this one especially because there's so many more things 
to look for in terms of collectibles. They got the uh, the uh, not just the power ups, but you know the new the Chaos Emeralds, which are like much more well hidden this time. Like you know, in the old games, they were tied to checkpoints, so you would pretty much always sort of be railroaded into them. As mm-hmm. long as you had enough rings to trigger the the portal to to jump into the mini game, um, this time around uh, they're just sort of like actually hidden, like the big floaty rings. <laughs> so you got to really look around the environment, and then when you jump into them, you do uh, this kind of like it's funny. It's almost like a pretty much like a Spider Man swinging game. <laughs> You're like in this 3D space, swinging on these nodes, trying to chase the Chaos Emerald. Um, so yeah, everybody's talking about how Mario and Sonic are putting out a game in the same week, but Sonic and Spider-Man are putting out a game in the same week too. It seems like uh, Sonic is taking a little bit from both of those games. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I I don't know if it wants the box with Spider-Man in terms of like, hey, we got pretty good web swinging too. <laughs> I don't know if that is wise, but hey, it's they're they're going for it. Uh, but um, speaking of the the Emerald Powers, uh, because they're uh off to the side basically like I, I know and you've covered this in your coverage brian that you know you have these new powers now tied to each chaos emerald uh like one of them turns into like a fireball and you can kind of aim and shoot yourself up um you can there's one called vision that reveals like invisible objects in certain areas like platforms or rings or just mm-hmm. like hitting goodies uh, uh avatar is one that just summons like multiple copies of of you and they just sort of run around and then hopefully hit something (laughs) they're really good at boss fights like the yeah that's yeah that's pretty much where i use them mostly um and you can only use them like you can only use them once until you find a checkpoint and then you kind of refill it Mm -hmm. uh and i i think that they're fine but they never felt integral and i know that was kind of by design because they can't since they're optional because like like think about this like like I've said before like if they if this game was designed like the old school Sonic games where uh, Chaos Emerald levels were tied to checkpoints where you're 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 going to hit them no matter what then it, you could weave them more like I guess intimately or integrally into the level design mm-hmm. but because you kind of have to go out of your way to find Chaos Emeralds they can't feel important because then it would make the game hard like oh I I can't get past this obstacle without the firepower so I have to go back and look for it. But because of that, I never felt the need to use them. Like, I honestly, I kept forgetting I had them. And a lot of that is like Sonic brain because you're not used to having like, oh, I have a, a little weapon wheel <laughs> that I can. Yeah. And I have like eight abilities or seven abilities that I can pick from to do a thing. But also like the game, at least for the most part, wasn't ever hard enough to where it's like, man, I really, I really need Avatar right now. Or I really need the water thing to climb waterfalls to get past this. It's kind of like, oh, I guess I. I guess I could, but like I'm doing just fine with my the normal tricks, you know, that you got. And I kind of wish that they did feel a little more important because they honestly, for a lot of the game, they felt like afterthoughts. I felt like boss fights is maybe where I use them most, but even then, I felt like I kind of relied on a couple because there's some that are just very like ultra specific, like the waterfall one. Like if you're in, a, there are whole zones that don't have water, so you just aren't yeah. use that one. So you're like, why do I even have this? Well, it's um, interesting because because Nintendo did that too because they have a badge system in uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Yeah, and there are some that are extremely specific. There's an underwater one that's called Dolphin Kick. That's just like a little bit of a boost that you can get while you're underwater. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, when I was doing the hands-on for the cover story, I, I was like, there are zero levels that have water. And then I found one that had like a tiny little pool of water. And I'm like, I'm just going to equip the dolphin kick and swim around in that little tiny pool 
just to see how it feels. And that's what I, that's how I ended up testing out that for the cover story. Um, but yeah, some of them are hyper specific. Some of them have like pretty wide ranging utility. So it seems like there's definitely a parallel there between Mario wonder and Sonic superstars. Yeah. And, and some of them will, it's funny. They, there's instances where they straight up tell you like, Hey, you should use this now because you'll enter a spot where like, let's say you have the vision power and Mm -hmm. you're in, you're in an area that has hidden objects. You'll get a little notification in the corner. That's like, Hey, Please use your, your vision here. And that's because I, when I first got vision, I didn't realize they were doing that at first. So I was wondering, like, how am I supposed to know when to use this? Like, I was using it randomly and just kind of hoping it for the best. But I was like, I don't know. Especially in a game, again, where you're encouraged to keep moving. You're like, I would. this seems like this contradicts that. I'm like, I would have to stop and really poke around to see, like, I hope there's a hidden something here. So, I mean, I guess it helps alleviate that. But it's just kind of funny if the game almost has to tell you, like, hey, please use this. You have it, you know, you can use it right here. And it's like, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess I will. Um, so yeah, I, I like the Emerald powers don't hurt at all. You know, like they don't detract from the game. They're just kind of, um, they're kind of like breadsticks at a nice dinner. It's like, I don't, I could do without them. I don't need this bread that you've given me, but it's here. And I guess I'll nibble on it every now and then. And it doesn't hurt. You know, it's kind of like that. Hey man, um, a good breadstick underrated. Yeah, unlimited chaos breadsticks. And <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. There's something there, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I'd say the the adventure itself it's pretty it's li- it's longer than I thought it would be. Like you know they got the uh, the bonus acts with the individual characters, kind mm-hmm. of like story driven stuff. There's like these special acts where the um, you're like collecting these kind of like space pairs is what i've called them in my hair yeah these green pairs that open up these bonus stages to get uh some coins and some unlockables i would say i i i the coin stuff is a little bit of a bummer because there's a store in the game that you're spending these coins on and you get the coins from either finding them in the level or from doing the actual special stages tied to the checkpoints which is a, a throwback to the sonic one uh chaos emerald stages where you're bouncing around the like floaty I don't even know what you call it. Like rotating <laughs> labyrinth almost. Yeah, you're trying to dodge the like black holes and try to steer yourself towards the goal, which is in, in this case are the coins. And you know, those are all right. I I I've I've always been a sucker for the Sonic one Sonics. I know people I think people generally don't like them. I've always kind of enjoyed them, and I think they Superstars has some pretty good modernized versions of those. Yeah. But the reward is a little it's it's tempered by the fact that you can only spend them in a store on these um, these robot parks for the multiplayer modes, of which there are only like one, like the battle mode, which yeah. is uh, yeah, yeah. So in the battle mode, which is like a separate mode, it's basically much just like competitive multiplayer mode where you and friends, along with a bunch of AI, compete in these very very short mini games that are all very shallow and just kind of. They're very much just kind of there. Like there's one that's basically Smash Brothers where it's like, hey, you're all in a big series of platforms and you can all shoot the same weapon at each other and you die in one hit and you just keep doing that till the time expires. And there's one power up that is useless because everyone dies in one hit and the power up makes your gun a little bit bigger. Um, Or there's one where you um, have to survive on a bunch of falling platforms as cannons are shooting at them from a distance. You're just trying not to fall longer than everyone else. It's one of those things where I did a couple rounds of them. And then by the time I was done, I was playing with uh, Wesley 
and I was like, I never need to do this ever again. <laughs> like, it's just, it is, it is just the definition of fluff. But you can only use this little robot character for that. You're not playing as Sonic or anyone, and you can customize this robot with parts that you buy from the store. So you can change out the head. Uh, my guy looks like a beefier metal Sonic right now. You can buy like you know chest, arms, legs, all that stuff, colors and, and patterns. But you only buy those with those coins that I mentioned before. So and that seems to be the only thing you spend coins on. So it's kind of like well. I don't, it, you know what I mean? Like I'm spending coins for this avatar that's tied to this not fun mode. So like it's kind of saps a lot of the incentive to do the special stages. Cause like, is there anything else like actually cool I can use these coins for? Is this kind of it? <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, there are skins, but I don't know if you can buy them in the store. Like I, I, I have been playing a little bit on PS5. Like we, we should also mention since this is a Nintendo podcast, neither of us have tried the Switch version. No, only PlayStation 5 codes are available to us pre-launch. Um, I do plan on playing it majority on Switch. Um, and I guess if there's a problem, I'll talk about it in a future episode of All Things Nintendo. But I, don't, I mean, when I redeemed the code, it also gave me some of the Lego skins. So I know I can yeah. swap out like I could have Lego Amy or Lego Knuckles or something. And that is also Sonic. You can swap it out for the rabbit design. But I'm assuming all the things in the store are only for that battle mode. That's what it seems like when I was going through it. I only saw robot parts because all the skins that I've gotten, I just kind of unlocked through playing. Like I would mm-hmm. finish a, an act and they'd be like, hey, you got this now. And it's like, OK. Um, so <laughs> I think you, I, as far as I can tell, you just kind of earn those. But maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm still playing it and digging through some stuff. But yeah, I, I kind of I, like I said, I wish that the coins were used for just something I would actually want to buy. Because then like now I've kind of just started passing through the special stages because like, oh, I don't want to. Because those those rotating games, as fun as they kind of are, they keep they do take a while if you're really trying to, you know, bash your head against it. And if that's the reward, you're kind of like, oh, I'll just run by it. Um, I do like that. Uh, I've seen it in the marketing that like Metal Knuckles is one of the yes. like the customizations you can do. Which I don't know if that was in Knuckles Chaotix, but like I know it's an obscure thing. And I, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. I mean, unless it was in Chaotix, which I never played beyond like an episode of replay that we did back in like 2016. As far as I can tell, Metal Knuckles was only in like the original run of the Archie comics. And I actually have that issue in my Sonic display case because I loved it so much. And I was at a Toys R Us a few years ago and they had like this like set that came with like Sonic figure, a Knuckles figure, and it's still in the box. And then behind it is actually that issue of the, the comic. And it was like a weird like limited run of of sonic comics they did i was like what i used to love this issue when i was a kid so i actually bought that at toys r us and i still have it in the box like just kind of sitting in my display case (laughs) but like it's cool that like they're acknowledging metal knuckles which if he's been in games it's been in a very limited capacity yeah no i mean that's cool i love little like deep cut stuff like that i didn't even know that metal knuckles was i never played knuckles chaotix either um yeah like seven people bought the 32x exactly (laughs) um i will say though like of the stuff that i i might have been down on like overall it it was like i think the fun that i had outweighed a lot of it i think the one sort of letdown that is sticking out the most to me is the soundtrack oh no yeah i don't think the soundtrack is that great i it's not bad i i think it's serviceable which for me is it's kind of an indictment because i i hold sonic especially 2d sonic up pretty high in like the video game music sort of like 
tier. Like I, I think all the Genesis games and, and even a uh, Sonic Mania too, all have produced some like genuine bangers that I still go out of my way to listen to. Like I still listen to Sonic Mania soundtrack pretty regularly. Oh, it's great. And there's, there was nothing here that really stood out to me. Like there was maybe once like a zone that I, I don't remember the name of it, but I was kind of like, all right, that's, that's all right. There's a little bit of a beat, but I feel like I'm in the habit of like doing this where I'm just kind of like bobbing my head to a lot of Sonic songs. I'm like, yeah, but the music in this game is very, I don't know if fluffy is the word I want to use, but it's very almost like this might be too mean, but like stock, fantasy platformer a bit of like it's very kind of like almost generically upbeat and like fantastical and it doesn't have the same sort of like soul and like style that other sonic games have if that makes sense like it's missing that x factor of like oh there's some like we're jamming now like we're okay we're getting like it doesn't have the same personality i think is what i'm trying to say interesting so that surprises me because you know i i I've played a, a lot of it when I was at Sonic Team for the cover story. I didn't have the music really like at the forefront of what I was paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Stuff that I've heard, I've liked okay. And it's surprising because T. Lopes is one of the guys who did the soundtrack, who also yeah. did TMNT Shredder's Revenge, which I know you love the soundtrack on that one. Yeah. He did Sonic Mania, which you just talked about how much you love yeah. that. And, and then, I love his remixes. Like, I've listened yeah. to him for years. And I, was he like the, the head composer for this, too? It was him and uh, June Senoue, who does, who's the guitarist of Crush 40, who does all the modern Sonic music. So you would think that, like, that team would be able to produce a pretty solid soundtrack. Yeah, I'm curious to see what other fans think of it. But yeah, that was the one thing that really kind of like stood out to me and was bothering me. Every stage I was like, okay, maybe this will be the one where we really start cooking. And then it was just like, eh. Like like you said, your reaction of like, yeah, this is fine, I guess. it's This sounds like a casino song, I guess. But it doesn't have like, again, I, I feel like Sonic Mania, and I'm, I'm using Sonic Mania because that was the last 2D one. Where like I think of like Studio Opla Zone, I was like, oh man, this is, we're banging right now. Like this, there's some piano here. It's like nice little synthesizer. Like this feels jazzy and fun, and it fits the aesthetic. I'm like, yeah. Whereas everything else just feels very like you had the idea, but it feels like it was just like the first draft of what the song could be, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't really go back in and really like flesh it out of like, okay, but well, what if we got wild at this part? It, it's very tame in a way mm-hmm. that just made it almost kind of like disappear in the background for a while which again when i play sonic 2 the music never disappears like i i am so into like every song on that and in those stages so yeah that's that's probably like the biggest genuine bummer for superstars for me and again knowing the pedigree of the the sound design that went into it i wonder if it's going to be one of those things that grows on you over time or if it's just like oh this just doesn't have the same magic that those other soundtracks do yeah, I mean, I'm playing through like, I don't want to spoil, but there's like a, a second campaign that opens up when you beat the game that sort of remixes the um, some of the like the the existing levels in some new ways that I'm currently working through. So I'm hearing the tracks again and it hasn't happened yet. It, it, it's like <laughs> I'm acknowledging them more and I'm trying to appreciate them, but I, I'm also acknowledging like, no, it's just not. I know what I like from Sonic and I, like, it, it doesn't take long for like most of these tracks to be like, Oh yeah, that's a banger. And it's like, nah, none of these are there yet. Either some of them sound very familiar, but yeah, that's an, that's an Eggman song that sounds right. Or it's just like, yeah, I guess this is, I guess this is what you could play for the green Hill style zone. But I mean, yeah. I think green Hill zone has much better music. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah. Well, you look at the spectrum of modern 2D Sonic games, right? There was mm-hmm. Sonic 4 that you referenced before, probably on the low end of the spectrum. And then Sonic Mania, which I think we both absolutely love and that's on the higher end of the spectrum where does this fall on that spectrum of like modern 2d sonic games um so uh if we're starting we say we're starting with like what was the first like modern 2d sonic was it generations yeah if generations. We're, if we're talking like two big 5d stuff i would say that's like the middle point right like generations mm-hmm. is probably it probably goes like one end of the spectrum is sonic 4 then I mean I guess you can choose. You can I think Sonic Mania is probably the top of that. Yeah, and then on the far positive side would be Mania. So okay. where does it fall on the spectrum of all the way one side for middle generations right Mania? Okay, I mean it's definitely better than four, and that that's, <laughs> goes without saying like easily. I think it's it's not as good as Sonic Mania. I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, Generations is true. I'm trying to. I'm divorcing the the 3D Sonic stuff from Generations. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think it's. I think it's probably a little bit better than Generations. Like I don't think it blows Generations away, but I I think it's better. And granted, Generations is largely old levels kind of redesigned, but still old levels. Um, but I I do think it's better than that I mean Generations. I mean it also. Man, the, I, uh, the soundtrack is just generation has all the old tracks in it, so yeah. that helps it a lot too. Um, but like, but yeah, the, I will say that for generations, one thing against it when, on when we're talking about this is I, I've again I've played a, a decent amount of Sonic Superstars. I just played it right before, like I played the first like three or four acts before we hopped on here. Also, a little bit of the battle mode. I'm with you; it's not super great, um, <laughs> but uh, the controls of 2D Sonic are so much better in superstars than they are in any 3d sonic game that uses 2d mechanics like yeah. that goes for uh anything that we've seen in like sonic forces when they did like the 2d stages on that it was like this doesn't play great he's just like a little like weirdly floaty and i think mm-hmm. generations had a little bit of, a little bit of that as well where it didn't feel quite as precise or uh correctly weighted when you uh, are controlling sonic but i'd uh, superstars I will go to bat for the physics in Superstars 100%. Oh, yeah. Me too. Like I said, I said, remember, like, if you are looking just for, like, you want something that feels like Genesis Sonic, this knocks that out of the park. So I'd say overall in the hierarchy, it's better than Sonic Generations, not as good as Mania, that sort of, like, number two spot. It's not a bad place to be. No. Like I said, especially, like, for Sonic, <laughs> it's like, hey, I'll take all the wins we can get. So, like, I think overall it's an enjoyable game, and I think people, especially if you're like me or, or you, like old school fans, I think you're going to enjoy the game. Just go in maybe, if especially if you haven't played 2D Sonic in a while, uh, expect to run into some of those, like, old frustrations with, like, level design and some of the movement where you're like, okay, I don't maybe you might not have the same patience for it that you did back in the day. And then also, again, maybe the soundtrack, not hitting the levels that you kind of hope from uh, this style of Sonic. But overall, a uh, fun game, and I'm excited to – I'm really excited and, and curious to try it with at least one other person to just see how the level design holds up when you have another person running alongside you really fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So. Well, I did play a little bit of the co-op, so while I'm not going to like be like, oh, this is my review of the co-op, I, I can talk a little bit about it where – 
it seems like whoever is in the lead, like going towards the goal, it follows them. And then if you get off the screen, kind of similar to Mario, you kind of like warp back on like Mario, New Super Mario Brothers is the, the basis of comparison I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. You kind of warp over to that person. Like there's a person with like, I, I think they have like a, a some sort of visual indicator that they are the ones that are like the camera is following. Did did you feel um I don't know how, like how much you got to play but did you feel like it was a burden when cuz Sonic levels are very vertical like you say there's like the different tiers and I feel like you require like a good amount of communication with your partner or partners to be like hey I want to go up there cuz I I want to see what the upper side and then somebody either accidentally falls to like a lower level or just decides that they want to go like they follow a pipe or or a ramp downwards like mm-hmm how it balances like who's going where and when at a, at a certain time. Cause it's like, because of how fast you're going, there's no way that all the time you're all going to be going the same direction. Like somebody's going to split off and either go up or down, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's tricky to really say because I only played a few levels um, and it was about a month and a half ago. So yeah. uh, I have not played the local co-op on uh, the review version of this game but i will say that like you know i i thought it felt good enough right it didn't feel like it was too burdensome to have another player on there and again like it will follow one person and i think it's going to be probably one of those scenarios where like new super mario brothers if you are hoping to make significant progress towards like goals and like beyond like just making it to the end you are probably better off playing single player. But if you don't mind like a little bit more of a casual experience, it's fun playing it together. Or just chaos. I mean, thankfully you're not like running into each other. Like you, you, there's no interactions between uh, players aside from if tails is flying, he can pick up one of the characters and like fly off with them, like holding on. Yeah. So that's the only interaction. Like other than that, they just kind of like just run alongside each other. And you know, there's, probably some areas of the love of the games that don't really like gel with that idea, but like, it's a core concept of this game. So yeah, I, I mean, you would be the one that would be better off telling me if like there's areas you think would be weird playing in co-op, oh, but yeah, there are, especially okay. the, there's some later game stuff. That's very, it's like hazardous and like, so strict on timing of like, you need to keep moving or this thing is going to kill you Or I'm like, mm. This is this seems like this could potentially be rough with even maybe one other person, but I, I who knows maybe we'll see. I mean, if you die in co-op, I think as long as there's one person still alive, it will like give you a little bit of a break, and then you're respawning right away. Um, the only exception of that is when you are in a boss battle. Like if you die in a boss battle, it's just over until like that battle is over so like if like you're playing four player local co-op and all all but one die in a boss battle like it's kind of like one of those things where it's like all right the pressure's on because yeah so i i do kind of like that philosophy because i'm sure that like when you're playing multiplayer there's going to be a lot of mishaps so like i do like that they're just like yeah you can just spawn right back in after like a very brief waiting period if somebody's still alive and what's nice is that there's no live system in Superstars. Like they ditched a live continue system so you can die as much as you want, which does alleviate some of the frustrations, but like feeling like you got cheaped out of a death because you'll just respawn immediately. So, which by helps. the way was my biggest complaint about Sonic Mania. Oh, that is still relied system. on the old system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like so difficult to balance like the 
how much people want to play something that they think feels like their old experience with these games and how much they actually want to play something that is like their old experience with these games. So it's like, that's the trouble with like all nostalgia driven stuff, right? Is like, we have to make something that people that matches their memory of the game, not matches the actual game. And I think that was one area that mania may have fallen just a little bit short, but everything else it knocked out of the park. Yeah. I did not miss lives in this game. (laughs) Let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So your review in progress as of this uh, time of this episode going up is on GameInformer.com. People can go check that out and then probably look forward to seeing your full review, GameInformer.com, at some point next week. Is there anything else we need to talk about with uh, Sonic Superstars before we transition to the interview segment of this episode? Uh, Amy's the best character. Okay. All right. Do you have a favorite Emerald Power? Uh, So I actually haven't found all of them yet. I, okay. I, I'm missing a few, but um, probably the fireball one. That's the one I've definitely used the most. Just really? Okay. Because it's good offensively, but it's good for platforming. you got to sh- give yourself a basically a double jump if you're doing it in midair and whatever. He's going to reach mm-hmm. some stuff you couldn't otherwise. Well, I know that the I think the last one you unlock before so- uh, Supersonic is the one that is character specific. So mm-hmm. it lets Sonic do a homing attack. It lets okay. Knuckles get a punch. Um, God, what is... T- oh, Tails throws like a projectile tornado. And oh, then right. Amy, does she, I think she throws her hammer. So like she gets a projectile as well. So that's kind of neat. I, I, I'm interested to see how that feels because that was one of the things that felt weird in Sonic 4 was like, oh, Sonic has a homing attack, but like now it's completely optional. Yeah. So I kind of like that. How many have you found in your playthrough? I mean, I've only done the first two zones and I have two. Okay, cool. So I, I have Bullet, which is the one you're talking about, and Avatar, which is the clone one. Right. Um, also, is yeah. it weird that we have a... It's called Avatar, and it's with a blue character. You think they knew what they were doing with that? <laughs> they could have called it, like, Copy or really anything else, but a, even Avatar is kind of a weird name for that ability, when it you is, think it about it. It is kind of a weird name for it. Yeah, um, like Multiply, maybe, or... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean... I think that uh, I'm enjoying my time with Sonic Superstars. It seems like you're pretty high on it, despite your your complaints. Yeah, it's 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 like it's like complaints, but it's kind of like almost like uh, just reminding people what they're getting into in a weird way. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is a classic Sonic game, for better or worse, <laughs> you know, but mostly for the better. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure a lot of people are excited to hear that. Uh, Very much looking forward to playing the full game when it comes out next week on Tuesday. We're going to keep on the Sonic train and uh, we're going to throw it over to an interview I did this past summer as part of our cover story uh, of Sonic Superstars. It's an interview that never really saw the light of day, but now we are going to be chatting with Sonic Team's chief brand and business officer, Ivo Gerskovich. We're going to be talking all about kind of the revival of the Sonic brand over the last decade. And then uh, when we come back, we're going to circle back and do definitive ranking. But we will be right back. All right. So for people who don't know you, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Ivo Gerskovich. I'm the global chief brand and business officer for Sonic the Hedgehog. All right, and so when did you join Sega, and like, what was kind of the, uh, the the focus that you had coming into this role? 
So I started in 2015 and the idea initially was to form a small team in Los Angeles, in Burbank specifically, dedicated to bringing Sonic back as a video game character. So obviously, you know, Sonic had a lot of success in the 90s and uh, over time there was a need to rebuild the brand. So initially that was my focus. And what kind of uh, factors did you identify early on as to why the, the games weren't really living up to the, the expectations? Yeah, well, I think there was a, a lot of reasons. You know, one I, I think is uh, Zuki-san was based in Japan and the team was here in the States. So the hours made it really difficult to coordinate and made for a lot of really, really late evenings. Uh, we were trying to line on things. That was one, I think. The fact that the games were uh, exclusive to certain platforms and those that platform had some issues. I think there was game quality issues uh, as well at the time, you know, with the Sonic Boom games. And then uh, finally, I believe that uh, part of the strategy to put a TV show at the center of the IP maybe wasn't the right time to do that. So there were a number of different factors, but uh, when we immediately came in, we realized and operated under the assumption that if you want different results, take different actions. So that's what we did. So what, how did you go about in those early years kind of addressing those various factors? So the first thing we did as we, we came in was try to understand the IP, try to find a foothold to grow the brand. You know, what did we have at that time? We had social media, which was performing really, really well uh, under Aaron Weber, doing things that people couldn't believe was actually a corporate account, right? Uh, there was that. We had an anniversary a year later after we started, because uh, I started in June, and then we had the uh, uh, 25th anniversary in June. So trying to figure out what could we do, what could we announce. So eventually it led to a four hour live stream, chock full of all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, it was really fun. I mean, just some of the memories of that time. We turned our entire group, which was maybe a little bit over 10 people at the time when we were starting, into an events production company, preparing for this live stream. and. Uh, it lasted four hours. We had technical difficulties. There's so many stories behind the scenes, but it was amazing to see the fans just light up. And at that point, we realized we had lightning in a bottle. We also saw that, uh, you know, we had this idea for Sonic Mania, working with Christian Whitehead and Azuki-san. And that was also something the fans got really excited about. We, uh, we started working with Sanrio on a mashup, a collab with Hello Kitty which turned out to be really collectible. That was fun. So there are all these bits and pieces as we started working together, trying to figure out what was the best way to one, learn the IP, two, learn each other, because we were a new team working together, never worked together. And then three, how are we gonna grow this thing? So there were a lot of steps involved, but it really meant going in and figuring it out. Mm. And so what were the, the key learnings that you had? Because I'm sure that like, you know, some, it's, it, 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 yeah. At large, like a lot of what you have done has worked, but I'm sure that like there were some things you're like, oh yeah, that didn't quite work. Like, were there any things that like when you came in, you tried something and it didn't quite work as well as you had hoped? Well, it's it's, it's funny. Um, there were, fortunately, knock on wood, a lot of what we did worked and, and resonated with the audience. But I think what was key was when we came in, we did four things immediately. And one was we respected the IP we respected the audience, we respected our partners, and most of all, um, we respected each other as well. So all of this together created this environment where people could take risks. And we weren't scared to fail. 
So when people aren't scared to fail, and, and we also helped each other a lot. So people came up with crazy ideas, including myself, and we all support each other and kind of maybe uh, chip some of the rough edges off to make them work. And that's how we work today. You know, someone drops an idea and it bounces around like a pinball machine. And then, you know, fortunately, a lot of the times the idea works. But I think that my learnings were we needed to surprise and delight the audience, um, not do the expected like a lot of other IP I felt were doing at the time, uh, but also keeping one foot in the past and one foot in the future. We couldn't just do what had been done before because around that time it wasn't working the way it needed to. But at the same time, we couldn't break away from the past because our most loyal fans were our most important. We didn't have a kid audience. There were, and trust me, I know, I talked to every kid I knew and no one knew who Sonic was. And a lot of people, adults were like, oh, that brand from the 90s. And we realized we needed to move from nostalgia to relevance, obviously playing on nostalgia, but getting back to point of relevance. Um, I think those were some of the key learnings. The other key learning, probably the most important, is how passionate the audience was. It was somewhat of a small audience, but you know, we went from, I think, 140,000 Twitter followers to over 6 million, uh, and it happened pretty quick. And so realizing how passionate the audience is, there's so much appreciation for the audience because without those original fans that were there, we wouldn't have anything today. And little by little, the core audience started evangelizing out and buzz started spreading. We got a lot of new fans. And now one of our challenges is balancing the new with the old fans. And fortunately, you know, that's, uh, that's a really fun uh, first world problem to have. And so I'm thankful to all the audiences that we have now around the world. Yeah, and that's got to be a challenge, though, with like having a multi-generational audience. There's people like me who grew up with the Genesis games, people who, you know, maybe like 10 years younger than me who like their first experience was Sonic Adventure. And then there's people who maybe their first game was Sonic Frontier. So how does the, the, the team and maybe people who like their only exposure is seeing the movies in the theaters? Like, how does the team go about addressing that and like kind of respecting all of these different audiences? It's a great question. We always um, we always take into account both audiences, right? And we always have it top of mind. It's very salient for us that a lot of the kids nowadays have come in through the mobile games. You know, there's over 48 million people playing those games. A lot of them are young. Uh, we have Roblox. We had over 760 million visits in a little over a year. So that's a lot of people coming in through Roblox. The films. Right, we've you know both of them broke broke records in terms of uh, game to movie adaptation. So it's a huge flood of of a new audience coming in. So we're very conscious that we need to do some educating and teach people about the lore, about the universe. We need to tie stories together, and then the core people who've been there from the start. Man, we can't say enough great things about them. And you know when we did, for example, Sonic Prime, we try to put a lot of Easter eggs in there. We try to do a lot of things we can harken back to. Uh, we did Mania for the core fans, and we went back to the 90s info infomercials and did a lot with that. So we're always thinking about both audiences, and both of them are just as important as each other, and we wouldn't have the success we have now without both of them. So our focus is always going to be that, but it's always about, first and foremost, doing what's right for Sonic, and uh, you know, almost always that's the right thing to do for the fans too. So both of them are very, very top of mind. And obviously the, the fan base is so much more massive now than it was, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And I think that speaks a lot to the quality of the games that have come out in that time. But what does it say about the fan base that like, you know, they've remained so passionate over the course of 30 plus years and through the ups and the downs? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just speaks so highly of their loyalty and that we're working on an IP. I look at it this way. I, I worked at Paramount, Fox. I worked at uh, Vivendi Universal. So got to spend time on those studio lots. And when you walk on those lots, you're walking on hallowed ground. You can imagine all the movie stars that, that were there and, and all the productions that have happened. It's almost like the ghosts of incredible memories from the past. I feel the same with Sega. There's so much history there and anyone who's watched Console Wars is familiar with it and a lot of people have, but just even though we're not in the same office that those people, all those talented people were originally, you feel the, you feel the spirit, the DNA, the authenticity of the experiences that those people had and that influences everything we do. And it's really honored to be invited by Tom Kalinske and, uh, and others to attend the Sega reunion. And when you hear them talk about those times, and obviously we're all familiar with console wars, you really just understand the passion and energy they had, the competitiveness. And even though times are different, right? We don't have a console now. We're very friendly with Nintendo. They're a great partner of ours. The passion is still the same, that team and our team. And so it's easy to understand. Well, maybe it's not exactly easy, but it's, I can imagine put myself in the shoes of what they felt in building the brand. And that's very similar to what we felt uh, rebuilding the brand. And so that fire that they had, our team also has. You referenced various brand collaborations, whether you're talking like mobile games or Roblox, had the movies be a huge success. Uh, Sonic Boom the cartoon was obviously very successful and Sonic Prime seems to be doing very well as well. What do all these kind of multimedia or just like outside of the core game experiences, if you look at Roblox and, and like maybe Dash, what do those do for the IP that maybe kind of turns them, like turns the fans that maybe find the game or the, the franchise through that back to the core games? So I, I think a lot of them are gateway sort of content. You know, you'll come in, you'll play the mobile game, um, which are really fun and, and obviously have good user reviews and all that but you don't get a super deep storyline, right? So I think there's always room for a transmedia strategy when you have great characters, you have great action, you have great humor, and you have great stories and great friendship and loyalty among the characters. So that formula can work across any type of content. So I think it's a matter of whatever entry point a fan comes in, whether new or old, uh, we want to tie the stories together, and that's part of our lore initiative that we're working on uh, in terms of finding those narrative threads, those Easter eggs, you know, hearkening back to different content across, uh, or different moments across different pieces of the content. I think you've seen that in the films and television and the games. So as we move forward, uh, it's about tying, making the universe more manageable and finding some of those maybe points that have caused friction and smoothing them out. So it's a really exciting initiative. It's the first time we've done it. But again, it's about respect for the IP and respect for the fans. We want all fans, no matter where they come from, to be able to become a core fan if they, if they choose. And when you look at kind of where you were coming into the, the Sonic brand back in 2015, yeah, 2015, when you look at that and kind of like looking around you and you're like, all right, well, here's what we got to look at and we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to take action here. And then you look at where we're at in 2023. How do you assess your, uh, your job at it so far? Wow, I'll tell you this, uh, my job is a lot more fun now than it was in the, in the early years where um, you know, there was less awareness for Sonic, there was a lot of skepticism about what we were trying to do. Uh, but little by little, I think uh, 
by maybe ignoring any negative voices or skepticism. We just focused internally. You know, I'm very fortunate to have such a great team that's grown seven, eight fold now. And the, the early OGs, you know, the, the, the pioneers were there and they were fearless. We had nothing to lose and we wanted to be wild as some of our partners uh, called it. And so we, we worked internally and, and with the other Sega teams all over the world. And little by little partners started signing on and those partners were as passionate as we were. So what's made Sonic really, really grow was this aligned passion about let's do what's right for the IP. So as long as we always centered on that, the, the end result was usually very successful, fortunately. And so we can't do everything on our own. We're a small team still uh, based here in Los Angeles, but we have big hearts and, and we love working with partners. And there's always an education process that goes because a lot of times, like anyone who's not familiar with all the nuances of Sonic, and there's a lot of them, go, oh, yeah, Sonic wears red shoes and he's a blue hedgehog and he runs fast, right? It's very easy to make that assumption, but the IP is much, much deeper than that. So when you ask me, what have I learned? Um, not only did I learn that the fans are incredible, our team is incredible, but Sonic is a very nuanced IP, rightfully so, because it was a part of so many people's childhood or adulthood and that's that emotional vein that, that you tap into and why if something isn't right, you definitely hear back about it. But it's also what makes it so great to work on. Um, passion is wonderful, whether it's, uh, obviously we like the positivity, but sometimes there's negativity that goes along with, with, with working on any IP, but the caring is what's important. And people, our fans care more. We hear it all the time and, and I feel it too. We have some of the most caring, most passionate fans in, in the entire entertainment universe. And that feels amazing. And it also brings a huge responsibility that myself and the entire team that we have feels. And I hope it translates. And I think people see that in our live streams and other direct communication that we're having a lot of fun. And we know when we have fun, our fans will have fun. So uh, it's really about the creative leading the business, meaning that if we do great content, you know, the audience will grow, people will be very engaged, and our business will do well. Unfortunately, now we're seeing that. We're seeing that in some areas, we're outselling some of the very top IPs in the entertainment in Hollywood. And had you asked us eight years ago, uh, would that ever happen? You know, it would have been hard to imagine that, but here we are and very grateful again for the opportunity we've been given to work on such a great IP and for having a fan base that has never uh, abandon the IP. That kind of gets at one of my other questions, which is like, you know, I asked Azuka-san at Summer Game Fest of like eight years ago when we were having this conversation about like the history of Sonic. If I told you that, you know, in 2023, this is the state that this franchise would be in, would you believe it? And he was like, I, I, it would have been very hard to believe. How, like, how would 2015 Ivo Gerskovich react to the news of like, here's everything that's happening in the Sonic brand in 2023? Yeah, well, Brian, you were there in 2015 and you did a, a big interview with us. And I think we told you what we wanted to do, right? Maybe we didn't know exactly how we were going to get there, but we had the vision and the vision was creating the best quality content we could and putting it on all the platforms we could to make it accessible to wherever our fans were. 
And with that, our business would grow and the audience would grow. We also knew we had to focus on the core audience first because the, the core audience, they're the heartbeat of the brand, right? And it emanates out from there. So we knew we had to do those things. So we knew what to do. Um, and I think we knew that we were going to grow the brand. I think maybe we wouldn't have anticipated how fast it's grown. We went from pushing a boulder uphill in terms of momentum to that boulder rolling really fast. And sometimes it feels like we're just trying to catch up to it, but it's an amazing problem to have. And again, you know, our gratitude, appreciation to everyone out there. Whenever we thank the audience, it's truly heartfelt because we do remember, especially myself and, and the other people on the team, we remember what it was like in 2015 and uh, there were crickets at time and now seeing a lot of those partners come on board and the fans come on board. But the most exciting thing to me is that I can honestly say with the team we have in place, we're just getting started. So I think it's, we hear from fans, we hear it's such a great time to be a Sonic fan and we love that. That's what makes us happy. That's what keeps us going. And that's what, you know, we realized eight years ago after the live stream that we had lightning in a bottle. We had the right people working on the brand. We had the right fans to, to, to help bring the brand back. We had the right everything. And it just made for this perfect storm of love for the IP. And I think with the right TLC for the, for the brand, um, that's what enables to grow. So just back to your question, it would have been hard to imagine at that time, but we knew where we were going to go. We just didn't know how we were going to get there. And I think perseverance, you know, powering through was, was what we did. We had no option. Failure was not an option for us. And that spirit of, uh, of innovation and risk-taking is very much a part of our DNA for the team now. We're always trying to improve and evolve how we do things. So we're never, status, we're never satisfied with the status quo. So when you align that, you, you align Sonic's DNA and rebelliousness and, um, you know, the attitude and all of that with the people that we have in place and our partners and our team, there's a good match. And I think that's what the audience feels and, and, and hopefully appreciates. And that's what we continue, plan to continue bringing to, to the world is, is bringing smiles and joy to people all over. This may require you to kind of toot your own horn a little bit here, but, uh, you know, I, I've been writing about games for over 15 years now, and I can't tell you how many press releases or PR pitches I get that are like, hey, we have a new executive coming in. He's going to really write the ship on troubled IPX or troubled IPY. And then I got, you know, your pitch back in 2015 from uh, probably Rachel was the one pitching it at the time. And, you know, it, it seemed like maybe it's just like another one. Okay, it's somebody else coming in trying to fix Sonic. Uh, but, you know, to your credit, it it's working. It's, it, it is turning around. And why do you think that is that like you came in and you were able to do things a little bit differently than some of your predecessors have been able to? Well, thank you. First of all, that means a lot to me. I have to acknowledge it was a team effort, uh, you know, from people around the world, other people at Sega, obviously the fans and the partners that came on board. So all of us are doing it together. But I think, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, you need to change whatever didn't work. If you want different results, you got to take different action. And that was sort of the filter we looked at. And then we also knew that we had to keep one foot in the past and one foot in the future. And we had a surprise and delight. So when you mix that combination with a higher purpose of bringing joy to people and helping people who maybe run into obstacles and allowing them to realize, and then we hear it all the time that Sonic is inspirational and aspirational. 
lot of kids want to be Sonic, and Sonic inspires people through hard times. Hear it all the time, and we, we've touched on that on our 30th anniversary spot called Unstoppable. We wanted to go deeper into the motivations and, and how Sonic affects people's lives. But I think the reason why we've been able to succeed at the bottom of it, I think, is we care about the IP. It's about respect. It's about respect for Sonic and, and what he was and what he is. It's respect for the audience and, and trying to give them the best experience, the most immersive experience we can. Uh, it's about respecting our partners and respecting our team. So I think, I think the audience felt that and, and also having fun while doing it. You know, we, we realize we're all very blessed that we get to do this in life, right? This is our careers, but we take it very seriously. Uh, we, we, we feel a huge weight, a huge responsibility to not let people down. You know, we've, we've, we've seen that and when we came in, we saw that, we felt it. We never want to go back to that. And also, we want to leave the world a better place than we came in. And the same goes for, for Sonic Team and the Sonic brand. Hopefully for future generations, Sonic will continue to power up and go to higher and higher levels. And you know, one of the big parts of the Sonic franchise at this point is kind of all these brand collaborations. Have you noticed a huge uptick in the past eight years of like how many people are knocking on your door to kind of collaborate with the Sonic IP? So the, there's been a sea change in terms of the partners wanting to come on board. You know, we're so excited about, you know, partners like Lego. We're so incredible and they've their marketing. I don't know if you saw the Eggman takeover of Lego headquarters. Who would have ever imagined that Lego would do something like that? So we've worked together to really challenge convention and go well beyond the status quo. We're not happy just to do things as, as they've always done. And I think that DNA fit works really well for our team and, and the brand and our partners. Um, but yeah, there's been so many partners. We just opened up a pop-up restaurant at, uh, at Comic-Con and the, the partners we've had, you know, from McDonald's to, to Burger King and so many others, fashion partners like Hypeland and, uh, and, and, and Stray Rats and, and many more, the opportunities are just flying and it's great. Now we've got to be very selective about what we choose. We need to make sure there's a good fit and also always make sure that we surprise and delight our audience. But I will tell you, there's a lot more to come and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're sitting here in your new office space which is so much bigger out of necessity for than your previous office space. Why has the headcount of Sonic Team grown so much over the last eight years? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. We started with, I think, 10 people or 13 people in 2015. And now, you know, we're, we're a team of, I believe, over 80 between here and, and different places, plus all the support groups. So we needed more space. We're tripling our space. We're We've been uh, we've been a startup for a while. You know, we had that mentality which served us really well, which is to be scrappy, do whatever it takes, uh, and have a lot of fun doing it. But now we're growing up and we're powering up and we're going to do things even bigger than we have before. And that requires more people. We're creating more content. We have more collaborations, as you said. Uh, and so all of that means just more fun for the audience, more exciting things to come. So very happy. We're going to move soon to the new offices and just everyone's going to be more comfortable, have room for partners to come visit. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll do tours for the fans. And, you know, uh, Sonic Team has developed a lot of games in collaboration with other developers. You know, Sonic Mania was developed in collaboration with Pagoda West, Headcanon, and yeah. Christian Whitehead. And now you have Arzist participating yeah. with Sonic Superstars. How does Sonic Team go about choosing kind of the development partners that it works with? 
So we choose our development partners on those that are passionate and have delivered great work and just really care about Sonic. It's so important that all of our partners just understand Sonic, get it instinctively, or have been fans for a long time. And uh, we just look for the very best developers that we can, and we look for that passion and, and that fire, that same fire that we have, and, and wanting to bring incredible experiences to the fans. And we'll end on this one. Yeah. If you told me in the 90s that the guy in charge of Nintendo would be named Bowser, and the guy in charge of Sonic would be named Evo. I would have said there's no way that's possible. Well, like, what is what's the deal about that? Like, I don't even know how you're supposed to answer this. But like, how how does that even happen? That like, the names of the bad guys for each of the main franchises of those companies is now in charge. You know, that's a that's a great question. It's funny. I. I... I haven't been asked that before, so it's uh, surprisingly, I haven't been asked that before. But I do remember when uh, when they announced that I joined, that Evo was was taking over the Sonic brand. People thought it was an April Fool's Day joke. They're like, is this for real? Uh, but the reality is uh, you can't make that stuff up. So anyway, I'm really grateful for, for you stopping by again. Uh, and. Uh, you know, our relationship with you and your, your, your media publication all this time. So thank you for being there. Thank you so much. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. We are back now and it is time for Definitive Ranking, a recurring segment where we take a Nintendo topic and give our personal top five lists. Since this episode highlights the first of two exciting 2D platformers coming out in the same week, Marcus, I want to get your top five 2D platformers of all time. So you know the drill. Start at five, count it down to one. Give me a sentence about each. Okay. I feel like you might judge some of these because I was like 2D platformer, like how strict you were about that. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, it's um, your personal top five list, so I'm saying go for it. Okay. Um, I'm going to say number five, I'm going to put Rayman Legends. Okay. Which is a that works. Best, I think it's the best Rayman game ever made. Um, it's still a, it looks beautiful. Soundtracks, it's great, especially the sort of like music focused levels. Uh, it's a super fun game, and it's wild that it's been ten years since it came out, and we what? have not gotten a we have not gotten like a third in the Legends Origins series. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, it's 2013 that it came Oof. out. It was like a wow. cross. It was a cross gen game when the when I guess the PS4 and Xbox One came out. That's right, because I remember like everybody was like, oh, it's best on the Wii U. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what was the reason for that? I think it used like the second screen stuff in like effective manner or something. I don't know. I okay. actually never played the Wii U version, so I am the wrong person to ask. Okay. I'm going to say my number four is Fez. Good call. And I know it's weird because it's like it's I think a lot of people think of it as a puzzle game primarily, and that's probably accurate. But... Uh, the reason is that I went with platform is because like a lot of the puzzle, like, you know, the per perspective switching is tied around platforming because you're moving the environment so that you can reach different areas and, you know, continue and solve those puzzles. And I also think the platforming feels good in that game. It's probably like the thing people don't talk about for, you know, which makes sense. Um, but I adore that game. I remember I was like borderline obsessed with it when it came out, trying to like find every secret and try to decipher that weird language and all that stuff. And it's a game that every time I bring this game, I was like, remember when we we, we almost got Fez 2? Remember that was officially announced? And what a then weird it, thing, right? And then Phil Fish just disappeared. Yeah. What do you think? Is he like on a boat? 
somewhere with like a big old beard fishing in like well, Scandinavia. That would be kind of uh, self-sabotaging, right? If he's out there catching fish, because uh, just forget about it. Just forget I said anything. Yeah, I don't think Still he's fish. ever gotten that. <laughs> yeah, he's, nobody's ever brought up his name as fish. Right. So number three is Inside. All right. I had to pick one of the, I had to pick a game in my mind that's like in that vein of like atmospheric puzzle cinematic platformer. And I think Inside is the best one of those ever made. Uh, I love me some Play Dead. I think that game not only just feels good in terms of like platforming and like the puzzle mechanics, but just the world is so fascinating and it looks amazing in a very dark and disturbing way. Uh, that was another game where I, I, there's one of the few games I immediately replayed as soon as I finished it. Like I went back and ran through it all again because it's, you know, one is short, but also you're just like, I kind of want to see if I, you know, like, did I get everything out of that that I think I was supposed to? Let me confirm some stuff. Uh, so, yeah, Inside Rocks. I remember uh, when we had that at the uh, the Game Informer office, we were doing reviews for it. I mean, we, we had somebody playing it for review. And as soon as uh, a very spoilery thing happens in that game, the person who was reviewing it was just like, I need to go in the other room. Nobody come in because you're going to get spoiled on this thing that you should not be spoiled on. And, you know, I, I finally did get to that when it was my turn to play that game. And yeah, that is one that you want to go in without looking up anything about the ending of that, because I, I can't remember a game where like an ending just left me with my jaw dropped completely like that game did. Yeah, they did bring inside to Switch, didn't they? Did like- they? Didn't they bring the Play Dead stuff to Switch? I know Limbo is on Switch. Yeah, I couldn't remember, like, like a collection or, or something. It I is there. Thought... In, Inside is available on Switch for $20. That might be a, a bonus eShop gem of the week you just gave us. Nice. So if you're playing this in public, like, you know, you're playing Undocked in, like, a subway or something like that, and you get to the spoiler part, you have to sprint out of the room because you don't want anyone's, like, on the bus or in the train or wherever you are to be spoiled. So like do the same thing, show the same level of consideration. Like I, I gotta go, I gotta go. Bye. Go outside. Exactly. Jump off the moving bus, <laughs> pull, pull the string and say like, this is suddenly my stop, but don't, but wait so I can finish this and I'll get back on. Um, my, my number two is Celeste. All right. It's a game I absolutely love. Um, you know, this is by, uh, I got extremely okay game, Maddie Dorson, maker of Towerfall, and also what was the up, their upcoming game, Earthblade. Uh, I love this game. It was one of my favorite games of 2018 when it came out. Uh, in addition to just being a super tight and fun and challenging platformer, it, I think the story in that game is fantastic, and it got me emotional at points when I first played it, and the music is phenomenal. I think it's like the total package. And I almost like... I don't have Meat Boy on this list because I felt like Meat Boy and Celeste kind of filled the same niche of like the super hard, really like precision platformer. And out of the two, I was like, I think I would take Celeste because I think the story puts it over like in another level too. As much as I adore Super Meat Boy. Um, but yeah, I, I love me some Celeste. I would agree with you there. I think that, you know, Meat Boy is probably better from a gameplay perspective, um, at least in my opinion, like level design. It's also more difficult. Uh, Celeste definitely has the better story. Like it's not even close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my number one, I think you'll appreciate this, Brian, and probably won't be that surprising to people, but it's it's Super Mario World. Yeah. Which is probably the best. <laughs> I mean, probably it's my number. I think the best two D platformer ever made. Like I, I this game means so much to me. Like just as a Mario kid, uh, like you know Mario three, incredible game. 
you know, the classic battle of which one's better. I've always sided with world. Like, I think it edges it out. Just like, I just remember seeing it for the first time as a kid and just being blown away at the graphics and the colors and the cape and just the, the amount of secrets and also just being able to play with my brother, you know, with him as Luigi. Cause that's how that works. Cause he's younger. Um, <laughs> but, always uh, the way it works. Yeah. By law, he has to be Luigi. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, there's very few games, not even just student platform, but games that have, created that sense of just like magic and wonder and like anything's possible if you poke hard enough as super mario world did mm-hmm. and just as a platformer it just plays great to this day like controls feel super tight you get in there and if you screw up it's you're always your fault <laughs> you know yeah so yeah it's still i think the the sort of like master class in like 2d platforming yeah yeah i mean i've championed that game so many times if anybody has not played that they should absolutely make that the next game they play even in this busy gaming season (laughs) um you're gonna notice a theme in my list there are two franchises that dominate it and zero overlap i actually appreciate that you i mean one is an obvious overlap there but like i appreciate that you went more modern with your list because i went mostly retro on mine uh you can probably guess which one is the one that overlaps with yours but uh number five is the one that isn't a part of these two franchises and that is donkey kong country oh the first game i'm going with the first one just because that was the one that meant the most to me you know i've talked about how my dad traveled a lot when i was a kid and when he would come home we would play donkey kong country Mario Kart and Mario World. Those were the three games we would play. But like Donkey Kong Country was the one that we really got into. We really stuck with. And that's the one that like I re- distinctly remember sitting down with him and just like playing. And I there's still so many amazing songs from that game that are stuck in my head. There's sounds that happen like when you jump on like some of the enemies, like the sounds that they make. Yeah, just, I still like, think the... The underwater music is like genuinely super like relaxing. <laughs> like I'll put it on a playlist when you're. I will say that's a top five video game song. The underwater Donkey Kong. The underwater Kong. theme so in good. Donkey Kong Country. That and the main theme are probably my two favorite songs in, in the series. One of the greatest drops in video game soundtrack history is the uh, the first song that you play in the level where it's like just kind of like. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, oh, and then like, just like a slow build and then it just drops and you're just like, oh, man, we are off on an adventure now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I might uh, I was going to put some sonic music on both ends of the break here, but I think that that song is going to actually replace one of the breaks in, when I go to edit <laughs> this. So thank you very much, Marcus. Uh, we're going to jump into number four, which when we talked about in the first segment, Sonic Mania. Just mm. an absolute recapturing of the magic of those Genesis Sonic games. And, you know, I still fire it up to this day. I think I've played it on th- three platforms i think I've, I've i reviewed it on playstation and then i bought it on both xbox and switch and i play it mostly on switch these days if i like I, I just one of those games that i always have installed on my switch and like i'll be on a plane and i'll just be like all right what do i want to play right now and it's like oh, let's fire up and just play like a few levels of sonic mania and it's always great i love it so much and uh yeah minor complaints aside that is one of my favorite 2d platformers ever uh number three talked about it a little bit super mario brothers 3 it was uh the ultimate 2d platformer on the nes it felt like a generational leap ahead 
without having to go to a new generation. Like the fact that, oh my God, Mario can fly now. And the graphics mm. looked so much better than the original Mario. And it was like, how is the original Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers 3 on the same console? Like just the level of graphical detail present in Mario 3 blows Mario 1 out of the water. Yeah, I will say like, I know we've, I think you and I are in agreement that world is over 3. Mm-hmm. But I will, I think the airship levels in 3 so are good better than the castles in world hmm that is a tough one maybe there'll be a future uh it was a one and done segment that i tried one time with everybody votes mm-hmm. we might have to bring that back for which mario game has the best like castle quote like unquote mini stages. boss stages boss stages i guess they technically are yeah, right? boss stages that that's a good way for yeah, it. I, I, I do that yeah just something about the the presentation and just like the atmosphere around those airs and that the airship music is amazing. Um, so good. Yeah. It's like, you have the challenge of dealing with the enemies, but then the screen scrolling too. So it's like a double challenge. You're trying to keep up while dodging people throwing wrenches at you (laughs) and stuff just to get your way to the boss. I, I've always adored those stages and I've always kind of wanted them. I don't think they've ever done them again, or maybe they have like in like one-offs and like the modern ones. I, I, I think they have gone back to it, but not like in a big, big way. Well, Mario Maker, you could make an airship level, which was kind of oh, neat. Okay. Complete with, uh, if you have the Super Mario Brothers theme, they Koji Kondo repurposed a new like airship theme, which is kind of neat. Okay. For, for Super Mario Brothers 1. Like, because, you know, there weren't airships in Mario 1. <laughs> yeah, they weren't invented yet. <laughs> yeah, they did. Airships had not quite gotten off <laughs> the ground. That's that technology. They were, just, oh. they were just ships. Gotcha, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Just oh. an incredible experience. The fact that like it was basically like one of the first examples of DLC, but without yeah. the DL part. It was just <laughs> content. It's <laughs> physical expansion of like you add a game on top of another game. <laughs> what a novel concept at the time of like take because like they had to finish the, the store, the famous story of like, all right, well, they have this deal with McDonald's. They have to get a game out the wind out the door to in this certain window to get like to coincide with the Happy Meal toys that they were putting out at McDonald's. So they just put out Sonic 3 and then they're like, well, we want we wanted to put the full game out. So they just put Sonic and Knuckles with the lock on technology, give you the full experience. What a, a tremendous game as well. So many iconic moments in that game. Some of the best music in any video game ever. I uh, I just love that game. That's another one that I could play anytime any place and always have a great time i wish that sonic origins had the uh the the tracks that were missing from sonic 3 um mm-hmm. you know the, the ones that allegedly included contributions from michael jackson but uh yeah it's still an incredible game and i'm glad that it's at least available in some form on modern platforms for sure I, i'll never forget the magic because i remember having sonic 3 but a buddy of mine got sonic and knuckles before me and the first time he showed me, like, look what you could do. And he just, like, stacked them together. And just, like, staring at that just wide, like, what the what? <laughs> it's like... I've never really gotten into, like, modding games. Like, I, I've never been, like, a huge PC gamer. But I felt like Game Genie was kind of, like, the best version of, like, modding that, like, consoles had back in the day. Yeah. So I would, I, after I beat Sonic 3 and Knuckles, like, so many times, I got super into, like, just experimenting with game genie on sonic 3 and knuckles and for the younger listeners uh game genie is basically like another cartridge that you would stick the the 
cartridge into before you put it on the in like the system they had it on most consoles back then and you would be able to like modify it like i had one that like sonic if he got hit he wouldn't lose his rings but the rings would still scatter everywhere so like sonic would get hit the rings would scatter everywhere but your counter wouldn't go down to zero so you could actually cheese it so you could get up to like as many rings as possible and then i also had a thing where it's like you only needed one blue sphere to get a chaos emerald so like i would have the chaos emeralds by like you know basically as soon as i could find seven rings or seven of the big rings i would be able to get supersonic and then there was another one that was like supersonic doesn't lose rings when he's in super form so it was just like (laughs) i was just an unstoppable force and it was so much fun to break the game in that way there's also like debug mode codes that you could do or you could just like kind of like create your own sonic levels into some like very minor extent uh, but yeah, that was always a fun thing to do with with Sonic Three Knuckles as well. I also would do this with Pokemon back in the day. I would like have it so I could just spawn whatever Pokemon I wanted, and like it would basically just overwrite whatever Pokemon you would encounter with the Pokemon. It's like all wild encounters are just Mewtwo, <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Uh, or like I, I, you could get Mew that way. Like you could basically hack the game to get Mew. Um, and I would just it, like when the <laughs> you would go into like the first encounter, it's supposed to be like a level two Pidgey, and it's like. Mew, a wild Mew appeared. It's like, oh, that's interesting. So yeah, I would have like a, out. I would have like the dream team right off the bat. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Game Genie. Shout out to Game Genie. But Sonic Three and Knuckles is my pick for number two, and then number one we've talked about already. Super Mario World, great game. Recommend it wholeheartedly. Go play it on Nintendo Switch Online. Marcus, we have made it to the final segment of this episode, the eShop Gem of the Week. I'm going to give a shout out to a game that uh, it, I'm going to consider it an eShop gem, even though it came out this week. Mm. And the reason I'm calling it eShop gem is because so many games are coming out right now. You almost have to consider anything that isn't one of these tentpole releases as like a hidden gem because everybody's so distracted by the likes of Sonic, Mario, Spider-Man. You kind of have to consider some of these games as hidden gems if they're not in the, the big group of games coming out this month. This is Wild Card Football. It is a game that I checked out at Summer Game Fest, a behind closed doors demo. It was uh, I got to play it with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, oddly enough, <laughs> how far to... away did you have to sit from him so his fro didn't like touch your head? His his hair was magnificent. I will say that. Like I walked in, and not, I mean he's a tall guy. I think he's like six five, six six. So obviously, I spotted him from a mile away when I walked <laughs> into like this hotel suite that it was hosted in. But also his hair made it so like he just uh, immediately spottable. But uh, yeah, we sat down, we, we, were, we were a half a cushion apart. <laughs> so I played a few games with him and then I do have a uh, PS5 and a Switch code. I, I unfortunately was playing on PS5. Um, my Switch is otherwise being uh, used for another game. You might be able to guess that we're going to talk about on uh, next week's episode. But uh, Wildcard Football... It's basically if NFL Blitz from back in the day and Mario Kart had a kid, okay. you know, you, and also throw in like some deck building elements uh, for fun as well. So on the surface level, hyper casual gameplay, uh, very much like in line with like the NFL Blitz series where there's like cinematics. Sometimes if you get like a good hit on somebody, like the camera will zoom in real close and take like a different angle to show the hit that you're getting on them. Um, it does have licensed NFL players, just not licensed NFL teams. So like all the teams are built around like the NFL players. So there's like 
team Joe Burrow, team Lamar Jackson, uh, team Colin Kaepernick. So it has the NFL Players Association license, but not the NFL license itself. Hmm. Um, oddly enough, there's Chris Berman is the the commentator, uh, and he doesn't really commentate. He, he kind of gives you like uh, the welcome, and then like every once in a while, very, very rarely, you'll hear Chris Berman, and then on the way out, like he'll give like a little quip about how that game went. Like, Oh, well that didn't go very well for them. Did it like a little like humorous line. It's, it's far from like what you would expect from like a modern play by play, but you know, it's in line with kind of how this feels like a late nineties, early two thousands arcade style football game. And the, the main hook of this outside of just like being a super casual um, arcade style football game is that, it has these this wild card functionality. And what that is, is you build a deck full of power-ups and like they range from everything from like, all right, player speed on this play is going to be boosted by 50% on your team. Or tornadoes are spawning on the field and you can deploy them whenever you want. So like as soon as you hand off, you can deploy tornadoes to like cl- try to clear a path for you. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where it's just goofy fun and but it's also strategic right because like you can go into it you can also by the way you can disable the wild cards if you just want to play like a straight up like this is like an arcade style football game but you you can go into it and you know there's one that like grows your linemen if you're playing defense because an offense and defense can play cards and you can make it so you grow your linemen into be like this giant guy that just like plows through everything um or your running back can grow into like a giant and just like wreck shop it's one of the most powerful cards and you can build your deck with like whatever cards you want, but each uh, card has a different um, energy requirement. So like if there's a really super powerful one that I want to play that takes up most of the energy in my bar, I'm going to need to like not play a card for a few plays to save up energy because each play it, it generates energy that you can use. And it's just a resource that you have to manage over the course of the game. Um, so that's kind of a cool twist on there. Not super impressed with the the modes on offer. Like there's exhibition, there's season, which is extremely bare bones. You just choose one of the the teams and play through a series of games. It's not really that involved. There's not really like trades or like team editing that I've seen so far. Um, but then there's, uh, God, what is it called? Is it just called wildcard mode or something? Um, or dream team. I think that's what it's called. Dream team. Where it's basically like one of those card collection games from like Madden or FIFA or whatever, where you like open up packs to get new characters, new players for your team. And then you put on the best team that you can. And each time you play a challenge, you and like complete it or like a mission or anything like that. Each time you level up, you get these packs and then you open them and you get the uh, the players to add to your team. And I've only played around with it a little bit. I created my team and there's very minor team editing stuff involved with that. But, uh, you know, it seems like this is actually going to be one of the I've never gotten really into the card collecting modes of the various sports games. I'm always just like, yeah, I'll just stick with franchise. But like this seems like it's where they put a lot of their resources in terms of like the long term gameplay aspect. So I think that if I'm going to play more of this it's probably going to be on that mode, right? Like it's going to be like me really devoting to like, all right, I'm going to try to open these packs, get like the best quarterback possible. Like I had like Brock Purdy was like my starting quarterback and he was rated like 50. And then I opened up my first pack and I got like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo who was rated like 
58 or 59 or something like that. So that was an instant like boost. And then I have a decent line on defense, but like, you know, it's, it's, I'm not the biggest fan of those because they often lean towards trying to get you to spend money on microtransactions, which I'm just flat out not going to do. But I'm, I'm interested to see how the progression, because they it also, those modes have a tendency to reward you a lot in the early stages and then become a grind as you get later. So I'm curious to see how the progression is going to go with that mode. But overall, I'm having a good time. I've played a few games, um, started the season, created my own team and opened up a few packs. Uh, it's, I think, the only like, modernized football game that is on switch. Like there's like a uh, legend bowl and a couple of others that are like retro style football games, but this is the only one that has like modern sensibilities that I, I think exist in this, but uh, it came out this past week and it's 40 bucks. If you want to get the base version that is a digital or there's a deluxe version that's $60 and then a digital ultimate edition that is $70. And I think they just give you different, cosmetics because like as you play you also and those packs have players they also have cosmetics that you can add to your team so like if you want your team to be dressed up looking like you know they're wearing like a knight's armor from like medieval times that's going to you can you can do something like that or like futuristic armor like you can deck out your team in more ways than just like we're gonna wear like football jerseys it's like no you can actually do some kind of zany stuff and give like give your guys like a knight's helmet or something that uh that would never happen in the game, but you know, it's uh, like the, the real game, but it's, it's leaning into that arcade sensibility. But does this sound like something that would be up your alley? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if something I would rush out and buy, but I mean, I used to love NFL blitz back in the day and I miss arcadey sports games in, in general. Yeah. Uh, Cause they were kind of the only ones I would play. Cause I'm not a big sports guy, you know, but like the idea of turning into a giant and shooting tornadoes out of your hands sounds pretty, pretty rad. I imagine it's what, if he had the ability, Vince McMahon, this would be what he, the XFL would have been if he could somehow <laughs> get his players to shoot tornadoes out of their hands. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I would like to see, I would like to try it. Like if, if there's a demo or anything like that, because um, it does seem fun. And like, and we don't really get games like this, especially ones that at least have some kind of license tied to it uh so yeah i mean it is neat that like there are nfl players both past and present in this game which is neat so uh you know you can build your your dream team in that mode or just play with the predefined teams that are built around the quarterback bo jackson i haven't encountered bo jackson yet but i uh i wouldn't be surprised if he's in there i mean there's plenty of uh of players in here. And I think they're planning on adding new ones as the kind of live service elements go on. Okay. So I would like more modes, but outside of that, I don't have a whole lot to complain about. I just want like more in depth, like roster customization or a more in depth season mode where like there's actual like transactions and everything. But cause right now, I mean, maybe there is something and I just haven't reached it yet, but like it's pretty bare bones outside of that dream team mode. Okay. I mean, I guess it's a, Good first start, it sounds like. Yeah, right. and there, I mean, this is uh, part of kind of the same series, which uh, there was NBA Playgrounds, which is kind of like right. their version of like NBA Jam or NBA Street, um, where it's it's more that arcade leaning, but it does have like that card collection aspect as well, which I never put a, a ton of time into NBA Playgrounds, but that seems like something I should have put more time into because I have a friend that was like super into that game for a while. He was the only person I ever knew that played it. 
But there was a time where he would like swear by that game and tell me like you got to play NBA Playgrounds, man. And like I just never did, even though I again I love NBA Jam and like NBA Street and that stuff. But I don't know. I never felt super compelled to play play Playgrounds despite him like praising it constantly. <laughs> so Playgrounds, uh, by the way, is on Switch as well. It's NBA. Uh, 2K actually picked up the publishing rights on it. So it's NBA 2K Playgrounds 2 is the one that's on Switch. So if you want to check that out, that's $30. So it's even cheaper than wildcard football. But uh, depending on what game you're or what sport you're into, that is uh, that that's the direction you want to take with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, two Minnesota Timberwolves, by the way, shout out Minnesota on the box art of NBA 2K Playgrounds 2. Is that Uh, deserved? I mean, Kevin Garnett definitely deserves to be on there. Okay, I was like, are the Timberwolves, like, are they good now, or are they doing all right? They're all right. They're okay. all right. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> th- that, that's just highlighting that there are modern players and legends in both of these games. But uh, Marcus, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any questions, comments, or feedback into me, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on your social media platform of choice at Brian P. Shea. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Marcus, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. I am found on the internet on uh, X and Blue Sky at Marcus Stewart 7 That is our show for this week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.